different kind of guest than usual audrey was connected to me by another person who was like you two should have a conversation on the air i was like oh okay let's do that so we did that and here it is audrey and i had one phone call a couple of weeks prior to this recording session then we just hopped right into the studio and now during this episode we may or may not have had a ton of of fucking Mercury retrograde-ass bullshit occur. What I mean by that is we may or may not have had the entire studio, the revolution crash. We may or may not have had a moment in which we uh, left the studio and returned because we started talking uh, and could not stop. Audrey was speaking in some ways that were so on point with, uh, with some issues that I'm addressing in my life that Audrey had no idea was happening. When we left the studio at the end, I opened up about a couple of parts of it that were really pressing on my heart. And Audrey had some really important things to say. So I was like, can I put us back on the air? Uh, That may or may not have happened. And uh, we may or may not have had a really, really good conversation. So we're just gonna phase on into it. So I'm Audrey Sterling. I am a huge nerd, uh, total trash goblin, aesthetic, revolutionary trans. Uh, oh, oh, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I am a very strange person. I've had a very fun life. I find in, in retrospect, you know, looking back, uh, it's been interesting times. And they only get more interesting with every uh, election year. Oh man, ain't that the case? God, I feel like it's not even it's not even election years at this point. It's like I like yes, like they escalate certainly on election years, but Oh, I consider uh, every year an election year now, as as does the election cycle. You know, it's like fair enough. A fiscal quarter. It puts it in that specific context. Oh yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's been a little rough for me this last week because like, I, I don't know how, but I made it through the, uh, the election, the November 7th horse shit of a day, the absolute travesty of, of January 20th. And then somehow this stupid fucking impeachment hearing, I can't. I managed to, I dodged most content from all of those events using filters, covering my phone with my hand, like all kinds of different things. But uh, somehow I'm, I'm getting more than I care about, about the, like the details of this fucking, I do not give a shit. Yeah. I do not give a shit. It's so bad. And, and people just need to tell me about it. Uh. It's so strange to be constantly dehumanized, like to make room for people's, um, their, their demand. They have to, they're being filled up like foie gras 
with too much data and then they, they have to vomitorium it. <laughs> Just go to the internet to do something stupid <laughs> online, oh, yeah. uh, me, me included. Uh, um, I love doing something stupid online when I'm too full of data that I can't process. It's one of my favorite ways to do it, actually. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. All you have to do is walk around and find somebody who uh, needs to be educated and, and you can uh, tell them what you think. Anything, anything you want. Yeah. Most of the time, you're actually only playing for the audience of people looking on going, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. We're all just, we're all just kind of milling around in there, like in these like fields of like electricity, just like rooting for dopamine hits. Like we're just like, like truffling for dopamine, like pigs (laughs) in the wild. It's great. Or like we act like we're in the wild, but we're getting, it's more and more like, um, like the enclosures have happened, like the common lands that were like the Gen X version of the internet is super fucking gone. Oh yeah, uh, and there's like cages around all kinds of different things. They're like telling us what's ours is not ours, and then selling it to us so we can have any of it. Kind of shit. It's like yeah. really weird to me how clear it is. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> techno fascism. Yay! Oh, oh my God! Don't get me started. Uh, just... Oh, please get started. <laughs> Start. Wait. <laughs> Oh, it's just, it's so, so terrifying because there, the amount of information that is available to corporations and and not just interpersonal contact and being able to track who knows who or who will buy what, but I feel like video games have become a massive way of examining actual human psyche and reactions. Oh, sure. It's just everything that humans interact with can be logged now. Like back in the Cold War, you know, there was this notion that like, oh yes, the, the KGB are listening to everybody. Mm. And and of course it was just obviously false. I mean, certainly they did surveillance, but they couldn't listen to everybody because they sim- you don't simply have enough people mm-hmm. to watch everybody mm-hmm. with a telephone system. Mm-hmm. I think the idea was that they could be listening to anybody at any time and they right, were doing exactly. it arbitrarily. Yeah. And- so people, people because fa- I remember feeling that vibe when I was young, even before my computer was attached to internet, like before internet was really even available with computers, I had this awareness of like, there's like a microphone in this thing sometimes. Like, I don't know all the time which computers have a microphone and which don't. And like, I read a lot of sci-fi spec fic for kids. So sometimes the computers were like animus or uh, controlled by like a ghost or something, you know? So the concept of like, (laughs) an entity being able to access the data in the computer and do something with it was just spookily in my mind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, noticed with some, you know, that, that, that sense of techno concern, uh, mm. that, uh, the design of say computers, for example, has become more and more inscrutable to the user. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, my first computer had a great big toggle switch that would make a loud snapping noise whenever you pushed it. And mm. you definitely knew when it was on or off. Mm. Yeah, they'd heat up and make noise, too. The design has drawn us away from that certitude that that I know what this device is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they had like a heat and a vibration to them, too, because they were loud and cumbersome in the mechanics. Uh, <laughs> 
they're, they're like it's almost like the technologies like so like transhumanism is sort of just melding casually into us like my device is not inside my body but i really do feel like my my devices are part of my body i had an issue yesterday i pissed off a guest uh um i uh i, I mean i don't want to make assumptions about how i made her feel but like um she uh we had an appointment booked we had a session booked and then she hit me up and was like i won't be available and i was like oh okay uh and i didn't change it in my calendar and then when the next day came uh Hold on one second. Excuse me. I don't know what happened. So the notification came up in my calendar day of, and since I did not remove it, my whole brain forgot entirely that we had even talked about anything at all. And so I just instantly texted her like, are we still on for today? And, uh, we weren't, um, we weren't, uh, yeah, I think she, the way she texted me back, the way she responded, I was pretty sure she, had to like set a box down or something to respond to my text. Like it was, it was like an irritating moment to, mm-hmm. to have been forgotten. Um, but yeah, my devices seem to be more and more one with my brain, uh, more and more one with my nervous system. Absolutely. Uh, they don't have to be you know physically connected to us because we develop the intellectual prostheses that allow us to connect to the internet. Uh, the, the modes of thinking and, and being able to enjoy anonymity or lack thereof. It's, it's, there's a whole other mode of thought necessary for the kind of contact with information that we have these days. And it's, you know, one might see it as evolutionary that we grow with our technology and our society changes and so on. But it also kind of feels like being you know, calf being fattened up <laughs> that, uh, you know, yeah. eventually we won't need the matrix plugs because we'll just look at our little nightmare rectangle and do what the matrix says. <laughs> oh my God. I don't even, <laughs> shit. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, Facebook has admitted to running psyops on its user base. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, that was really frustrating for me because they started admitting that enacted psyops on me particularly in a real specific fashion i'm not going to get into right now but it involved me getting like alienated from facebook uh while they were simultaneously announcing that they do not alienate people from facebook <laughs> of course for the reasons they were alienating me from facebook <laughs> uh, the, the, um the uh, the what was it they said that they thought i was a bot because i was ha- so here's the thing how can they think I might be a bot when at the same time, at least twice a week, if not twice a day on some weeks, I was getting sent those, um, someone's concerned about you. Here's a bunch of phone numbers to anonymous strangers, uh, <laughs> that will, that will talk to you about whatever, yeah. um, generically, uh, so yeah, somehow, and all, you know, I've been a user for some years, like my family was all attached to me. Like, I'm pretty sure if their technology thinks I might be a bot, it's not worth shit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was the thing. And they were making announcements that they weren't going to, uh, they, they, what they did is they demanded that I send them an ID, but two weeks prior to that, they had made a big announcement that they weren't going to be asking people for IDs anymore because it was a safety concern for users, different people that is none of their business, any of that, they need to be. If they're going to be social media, they're going to be social media. And 
I mean, they, it was a strategic, they don't have to be anything. They could have chosen right then and there to represent themselves as a, as an oppressive institution that disallows sex workers and domestic violence, you know, people that are like fleeing any type of whatever situation, or just you have a goddamn nickname and you never use your legal name like ever anywhere except for on legal paperwork. And then those moments, people know that they're dealing with that. And then you go back to the rest of your life with your nickname kind of thing like that. It doesn't make any sense why they, why they suddenly started talking about defining what people's real names are and wanting that kind of information. I just never understood it, but they were already on my list of like, I don't trust yous. And there was no, let me tell you the amount of nope I was about when I got that fucking memo, like you're going to, you want me to give you what? Like, I don't want, they didn't have my credit card. They didn't have any of my debit info or phone number. None of that. They might've had my phone number, but they didn't have my banking info. I wasn't doing transactions through Facebook. Um, that was that. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I was required to submit my ID, uh, because uh, someone weaponized the fake name reporting system against me. Interesting. And this was almost certainly somebody I I uh, pissed off by being a trans woman who speaks. So uh, it was extra ironic that I was then forced to cough up a an ID, and I am henceforth not allowed to change my name on Facebook ever again. Hmm. Um, Wait, but what? Yeah, I also I caught that um, inauguration mass ban that uh, Facebook did. Have you, have you been a party to this? I know I haven't. A whole lot of left book uh, people and groups. I don't know what is groups got pulled, but a whole lot of left bookers got put on a precautionary ban mm. uh, for, it was, gosh, must've started sometime like the 14th. And it ended three days after the inauguration. Or, uh, yeah, the inauguration. Uh, and it was just to keep it. We were expressly forbidden from commenting in public groups, uh, from uh, making our own groups, from associating in any events that are planned. It is literally a, a, an effort to keep some people from politically organizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I used to be uh, be afraid of the singularity that eventually the computers will turn against us. All that great television, but uh, honestly, what's scariest to me is what what people will do with it. What specifically white men with money will do with it? Right. Um, it's like uh, you know, the net in nineteen ninety four was such a cheesy film, but these days it's actually feasible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems to be happening just, you know, in small, cl- we're in like a prototype fate. We're the prototype. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, some of it's like, it, it's like, I wonder, I wonder how much, how much of it, I wonder how much of it is like permanent and how much of it is like warning us for how bad it could be if it continues in the direction that it continues in. Cause it's like, things are constantly kind of moving and surging and flowing energetically in all kinds of ways. And like, I don't know, like Icarus is a thing. Like they, they are 
the same like rules of life limits apply to these people as they always did. Like nothing about myth and parable changed because we're in the future. Right. Yeah. I get, okay. So, I mean, you had just said, you had just been talking about left, left Facebook, left book. That's what you call yourselves there. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the general name for it. I hate Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Left, left Twitter or Twitter left, uh, is like, it just tastes better to say. I just hate Facebook. Oh, oh yeah. I desperately need to break into Twitter. I just have this sort of old lady thing. You know, join us, join us. (laughs) Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. One of us, one of us. It's great over there. I'm on horny Twitter and I'm on left (laughs) Twitter and it's really great. Actually. I'm trying to negotiate right now. There's somebody that has, you know, kind of, it's like a risque, risque video business, um, that he's doing. And, um, uh, I, I'm considering, um, you know, a, sp- a sponsorship arrangement. I'm like, I'm, I'm fishing around for, for products and, and partnerships and all that anyway. So I was like, you know, I think I like you. Um, what's, what's your deal with these things? Cause, uh, you know, individual artists are, a, are a, a type of business that we work with. And so I, I just kind of assumed that that same principle would apply in this medium, I suppose. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun over there. The people will just post like, I'm sad. Can you show me your butts? And then I'll be like, oh my goodness, it's a whole thread of like just beautiful butts. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good times. And it, yeah, it's a, it's pretty fun and funny. There's a lot of communication happening there. I just had a, a, a real odd, um, like a drama, like a conflict. Like somebody, somebody posted something that was accidentally defaming me. Like, yeah. Accident- I'll give them that it was accidental. We've worked it out at this point, but it was like a whole experience with multiple people coming into this situation. And it has, uh, it has, res- it has resolved partially. It's we're, we're <laughs> moving towards resolution at this point. Uh, I'm no longer being defamed. We'll say that much. Well, good. Good. Yep. But yeah, Twitter's exciting. That's what I'll say. Facebook seems really boring and conflict-driven. There can be conflict on Twitter, but Twitter wraps it up really fast. Like, or they try, they galvanize. There's been like, I don't know, we had to deal with weird shit. What did I see? I mean, I say we like I'm a part of it. I'm just watching for the most part. But there was like <laughs> Nazi simping was a thing after the Capitol. They were calling it Nazi simping with the the horny goat fur dude. Uh, yeah. Um, so left Twitter was suddenly having like white women with like socialists up in their profile talking about just fucking vile shit. And then everybody else had to be like a hard nope. Like you're not even allowed in the feed anymore. Um, so yeah, you really get to see like whose bullshit is what on social media for sure. Um, I, I like that. I like that Twitter is communication driven. Like it's not narcissism driven. Oh yes, absolutely. Does that make sense? It is narcissism. Everything's narcissism driven, but Facebook is inherently narcissism driven. It's all about, it's vampirism. 100%. Twitter is broadcasts. Like you can be vampiric with it if you want, but on its base level, it's not anything but broadcasts. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I'm slow to change. 
I understand. I am. I am inviting. That's oh, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my internet environment journey began in. Um, oh my goodness, I've forgotten what they're called. <laughs> when it would be like you know, alt aol or something like that. Alt Mortal Kombat. Usenet. There we go. Oh, yeah, straight I started out on Usenet and then went to Live Journal and then Reddit and then Facebook. Word. But uh, yeah, I um, I thought that I was retiring from horrible political shit fighting when I left Reddit and went to Facebook because I thought Facebook, you know, that's where you just connect with people and have have parallel lives and see what's going on. Mm. And it's like, no, Facebook has a lot. <laughs> A lot of fighting and a lot of, you know, it, it turns out that's mostly what it's made of. Because as you said, it's uh, it's basically a communal ego project. Yeah. Well, that's what it was incepted for. Yeah. That was all it was incepted for. That was entirely all it was ever for. And then other things were done with it. As far as I know. Do you know something different? Oh, no. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting how how these technological media uh, that allow us to connect in certain ways, they sort of start out as their own function. And then over time, as people become accustomed to it, it sort of just becomes the substrate that other things are grown in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, you know about the poke feature, right? Like what it's I, from? I do not. I do not know about a poke feature. The poke feature is like just, it's just sitting on the profile and you can poke anybody on their page, you can go to them and you can like send them a message or you can just be like, poke. It may be gone now. Maybe it's gone now, but if it disappeared, it was within the last four years. Right. I know what you're talking about. I, I, I have been poked exactly once and mm. I, uh, I think I deactivated over it. Uh, okay. That sounds fair. <laughs> I'm into that. That's it's no. just such a creepy function. It's Precisely. So here's the thing. The whole system was made as like a social rating system for some gross fucks to like list everybody and rate them. The poke feature, I mean, that was the initial, and this is, I'm down for people to redirect me if I'm wrong about the history of Facebook. It doesn't change the fact that they're a bunch of horrible fucks and oh, Mark right. Zuckerberg goes, I don't know how we're all going to split Mark Zuckerberg up to eat him. How are we going to all, it's going to be like the scene in, um, in, uh, the Christmas Carol, the Disney Christmas Carol, where they're cutting the bean into multiple parts to split amongst four people, one single bean. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm a little peckish. I, I missed lunch. Um, anyway, so the, uh, the system was made for these dudes to just kind of like fuck around with what they thought of like females at the school. And, Eventually, it became a system for like tracking friends and rating friends. And it was this whole, it's all based on they have no real. I mean, I imagine like anybody else, people approach them and start getting to know them. And for some reason, they had enough issues in their lives that this is what they ended up doing with society. This is how they handled society. Uh, they wanted to rate the people around them in their immediate environment and, and collect them is yeah. the, the deal. So the poke feature really is on face value, exactly what it would sound like 
for a bunch of creepy dudes to be building this system. And there were a lot of things they changed when they escalated this to being like a larger group and then a larger group and a larger group and then the fucking globe. But they never took that feature out because they're a bunch of fucking greasy fucks and always fucking will be. And everybody that works for Facebook also is by proxy. So, and everybody who ever has worked for Facebook is also that way by proxy, even if they quit in shame. (laughs) Um, I'm tired of everybody giving grace to like, well, I, how did I not, I didn't know any better. And like, I mean, like, how is that supposed to help anybody not make that choice in the future? You know what I mean? Like, how is that ever supposed to help us grow as a people to not just all in about what happened there? I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, accountability is the key to growth. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Things like I was just following orders or how could I have known where it would go? That sort of thing. It's, it's all just a, a a dodge of uh, unaccountability and Mm. uh, it's very much just the, the purview of privilege and the lack of accountability is a fundamental feature of, uh, Privilege systems, the most valent system of privilege being uh, whiteness, for example. Mm. Uh, White people don't have to understand white supremacy. In fact, it's it's in white people's interest to not understand a thing about it and ideally never speak about it. Mm. And... um, I mean, okay. And then what about, though people who do speak about it and it's in their best interest to really learn the fuck out of the rhetoric of being anti-racist and still not understand white supremacy. And really on this show, we just realized this a couple of days ago is being introduced to the world right now. Welcome. White cowardice is the new white supremacy. Oh, really? Fantastic. That, that, yes. that maps perfectly. Cool. Uh, yeah, because, White cowardice is flight from the truth, from reality. Mm. So mm. for a white person to say, I, how could I have known or I didn't understand, uh, the choice was still made not to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, a <clears throat> there's an episode of Doctor Who, I won't get too deep into it, but uh, the premise is that an entire society is powered by the suffering of others but none of them know it because by law, when they're informed, they're then given the option to either remember this horrible truth or erase it. Uh, and everyone chooses to erase it. Because uh, what good could it do to know that terrible thing? And having the privilege of not having to recognize what is happening, not having to have historical knowledge of patterns that one is currently seeing uh, getting to be so ignorant that you have no idea that there are genocides still going on within the borders of this country. Mm. Um, That is, that's the white dream Mm. is to be completely ignorant to the world around you and make anyone who isn't white do all of the mental work of making reality make sense for you. Yo. Um, and you're, did you say what your avatars 
you know, what, do, what are your attributes? What's your skin in the game in this game and whiteness? You know what I mean? Uh, like what's my background or? Yeah, your ethnic background. Like, are you white? Are you? I don't think we talked about that the other day. And I'm no, not we seeing you. We've just um, been on the phone. Yeah, I am. I mean, I'm definitely white. Absolutely white. Never catch me saying otherwise because it's the privilege you can't sh- shake off. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, historically, uh, I am Irish and I am. I sort of consider myself numbered among the dead of the Lakota genocide. Uh, my mother was a member of a lost generation. Uh, she was forcibly put up for adoption because uh, her parents were uh, an interracial uh, couple. Uh, my grandfather on her side was Lakota and uh, my grandmother was not. And she was forced by her family to put the child up for adoption. And uh, my mother was raised as white. Mm. Uh, you know, she really, uh, she never talked about this when I was young. She was never allowed to know her, her, her birth father's name. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not remotely interested in the fucking white game of you know oh i've got this percentage i've got like no what i know is that i did not get to grow up at the feet of my grandfather period yeah that's narrative that's the thing is people will use that percentage to sort of uh brush away accountability or like a call to be accountable and you are giving narrative right now and and educating people in how to do so and why to do so hopefully they're paying the fuck attention uh right Because, yeah, people do have complicated histories. We're in America where much of our much of our lineage is built on pain and bullshit and we're not allowed to talk about it. Everything's taboo. Yes. All the most important all the most important parts are taboo. You used a phrase when when we were doing our our pre meeting, uh, you used the term unzip whiteness. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that was a cool one i like that <laughs> yeah i more of uh my more of my background is that i was uh born autistic you know i'm I'm still autistic as as a child i made it my job to try to understand how the hell these interactions are supposed to work mm. i consider myself like a martian anthropologist and, uh, you know, I, I spent, spent years getting down the fine notes of when a handshake is appropriate, what exactly a wink actually means, that kind of thing. Mm. And so I grew up with this hunger for seeing what the social fabric is made of. And when I found out <laughs> that I had, uh, I had only been studying whiteness, how to better perform whiteness, I I realized I had a much bigger job ahead of me. And uh, it's not enough to simply learn how to navigate it so that you can subsist. Uh, for me anyway, for my values, I have to figure out how you take this big monster whose belly we're trapped in and fucking kill the thing. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a really important part of that is, as you were saying, showing people who think that they are exempt from the atrocities of this culture 
that uh, they aren't possibly victims, uh, that we're all touched by this. And if you can't, for whatever reason, fight white supremacy because it's the right thing, at least what if you thought about doing right by yourself because white souls are poisoned and the only way we're supposed to metabolize it is to turn it into more poison. And uh, my mother, for example, never, never thought about her heritage. Uh, she simply knew that she was adopted. Uh, but then when I started digging into some irregularities with her birth certificate and the circumstances in which it was changed, uh, I found that she's, she was literally stolen to be raised as white. Uh, and successfully so she, she had no idea that this, that this had impacted her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, now that she knows she has a much greater awareness of how <sighs> this isn't just mean people being shitty to people who don't deserve it. It's a system that takes from all of us and we need to start. <laughs> it's a system that takes from all of us. And in order to actually address it, you have to understand exactly how you're connected to it and what it's taking from you. Mm. Uh, the, um, so in my background is a, a very good example. Um, because I've always thought of my lineage as being what was once uh, one people and some of them went west and some of them went east. And when they met again, half of them killed the others and stole their land. I've got both of those histories within me and mm -hmm. I have to contend with both of them. Mm -hmm. And the Irish's journey into whiteness is it really spells out so much of the machine and how it grows and eats people because, uh, when the Irish first arrived in America, uh, they were derided as these terrible Celts who, um, you know, they couldn't feed themselves much less, you know, be a proper white person. And uh, the Irish ultimately bought our way into white supremacy by volunteering to be the military arm of uh, urban white supremacy. The, mm. the, the New York Police Department was the metabolizing process that turned Irish people into white people. And in the course of this... Uh, Things like American individualism, which is whiteness, and uh, the the imperative to form your own nuclear family and basically leave your family behind. Uh, all of these, which are now treated as just standard in white culture, this is how it works. Uh, these are mm. means of cutting us off from the cultures that we sold out, that we abandoned in order to become white. Wow. And so basically there came a point
every people once upon a time were an indigenous people standing up in the face of imperialism and colonialism. The Irish were once the indigenous people of their land. And their tradition is, let's say, irreparably compromised by whiteness. Let's say. Um, let's say. I'm part Irish too. So, yeah. yes, let's say. It's complicated. It's fucked. Yeah, because I'm not white. Like, mm. I thought I could choose to be, though, when I was a kid, when I was small, because my family is mixed in dynamics that led me to, without getting into it, I don't want to take up time on it right now. We're going to return for more episodes. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought that I could choose until I understood the dynamics of how it all works. I thought, or I thought maybe it wasn't, maybe not like a choice, but sort of like a bit. Right. Uh, there was a, there was a moment where I realized I was not white, you know, like, you know, maybe you don't know. I don't know why I said, you know, <laughs> somebody knows, somebody's listening to the nose, a bunch of people. Uh, yeah. Word. And the, the, um, you know, the white ideal is that you never have to contend with any of this, that you can be proud of your ancestors as long as they were white. But generally the traditions don't get passed down unless they're just white traditions. Um, every white person has a history that eventually reaches back to someone who is actually indigenous and not white. And there comes a point in every white person's history where their ancestors sold out. They fed their hearts to their skin. And that is a great loss in my, uh, my own sense of self because I should be able to have a history without just having this white filler, like white out pasted over the rest of me, the rest of my, my ancestry, my connection to the original spark of life. And that is... That is whiteness's genocide upon itself. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, sorry for what? We're sitting here for a sec. I mean, you know, we're chilling. It's like, yeah. uh, it's like just the way it is. And if we don't look at it, like you, I mean, you just said it, like, accountability is clutch to growth. Like you can't get it if you don't look at the things and examine the things. And I don't know. I, uh, I've been talking a bit about the distinction between empathy and compassion. Yes. Uh, like compassion being to suffer with empathy being like vibing the vibe of yeah. for lack of, I just don't even want to get deeper into it rhetorically, <laughs> but let's get as deep as we can with that metaphor. Everybody feel it. And we'll have a moment of pretending we're <laughs> empathetic to it. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's a distinction and like compassion can be passive, but like it can be a lifestyle choice too. Like that's the way I've employed it. Like it, 
often I do not want to be present and suffering with people. And I am not, not, not more than half the time, but often enough that I'd say often. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a frequent percentage, a, a feelable percentage. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's, it's complicated because the, the, um, the work in doing things to unzip whiteness, which is like such a dynamic concept, like unzip it from the self, unzip the whiteness in yourself, unzip the whiteness in the world. Like that's, you know, whatever. Unzip the whiteness in your community and your family. And your, like there's a few ways that applies. And then there's like unzipping, like opening up. And then there's things you can unzip, like, you know, what do you, uh, it was like tearaway pants or whatever, uh, zip off, zip off pants, workout <laughs> yeah, pants. Uh, it zippers all the way down. Yeah. There's so many ways. Yeah. Zip, zip, zip. Yeah. And then I've been to, I've been to like DNA lounge in, in San Francisco. I've been, you know, it's like the emo scene. I'm not, I'm like, I'm like adjacent scene for like a lot of scenes. Like that's, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I fucked around with zipper people. Um, there's a lot of ways zippers goes. And I try, I tried it on when I found out that I'm not really the scene. I did have a phase where I was like, let me like put it on and see what it looks like. Um, oh, you're breaking up. Um, I can't hear you right now. Oh, no. What happened? On the call. Can you hear me now? I think it's a signal problem. Signal problem. Um, uh, I don't have internet. Uh, I don't know if you can hear me Okay, so we just had like a major tech issue and the whole studio crashed and, uh, Neither one of us can remember what the fuck we were talking about, but that's okay. I think because we were on a topic that we really could like work and work and work and work. And <laughs> so I think that we should just reach into the bag and grab anything and start from there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, sure. Yeah. Let me see. Um, <laughs> I mean, we were talking about like whiteness and like, oppression dynamics and systems and def defenses of like, yeah, it's like the tools that the tools that are required to maintain the systems, you know? Right. Yeah. The, uh, the tools are so much subtler than people think. So I've been learning about a lot about linguistics lately and the way that words function and what the very act of uttering a statement means. And um, there's this old racist canard uh, that uh, the, uh, the indigenous people of northern Canada have over 500 words for snow. Hmm. Uh, people love to quote this. Uh, because, of course, it's a very uh, white-centric way of defining other, other uh, civilizations, other cultures. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, while it is not true, and it's terrible to think it is, uh, 
that's because whiteness inverts uh, it, it's projection. Whiteness inverts its own sins and projects them onto others. So this notion that a people would have 500 words for snow just because there's a lot of it around them. It's an oppressive joke that snow is the be-all and end-all of these people's culture because that's all white people care to see when they look in that direction. Mm. Uh, the superficial environmental container that the, that the culture lives in, like they don't even think about the individuals or anything, right? Precisely. That, you know, that, when in point of fact, fish tend not to need words for water. But um, the, the point, though, is is that we do the exact same thing that we accuse them of doing uh, as a means of obfuscating the mechanisms of power. So the uh, what I have made of that old chestnut is the actual observation. Did you know that capitalists have over 500 words for money? Mm. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's actually remarkable once you once you think to look at at every word that we use in this fucking white capitalist culture uh, is in some way generally a a, a commentary upon money, oh and we don't just call it money. Money is the very generic term that we use, but we have hundreds of words for kinds of money. An annuity, a a grant, a fee, a Whoa. surcharge, which is different from a fee, but how? Hmm. Uh, <gasps> all so that we can keep from talking about money. Uh, Holy shit! Something like a license that's granted by the government is functionally only a receipt for a fee that you have paid. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I, okay, wait, we got to count how many words capitalists actually do have for money. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, you can go on forever. Uh, Over 500 words. The word tuition, money. for example, that's just <gasps> money that you owe. Oh my God. Compensation. You haven't even, yeah, and you haven't even done like the, the, the title nouns like fiat and like note. Right. You know, like that, cash. <laughs> And all of this is to obfuscate the central mechanism of this mode of exploitation. Uh, because what, what, what money actually means is, of course, labor. Oh. Uh, oh. Oh, we just like... It's like you were like hacking away at a coconut and it just like opened and like... <laughs> <laughs> we get to sip out of it now. How wonderful. <laughs> yeah. The, what it is, uh, the reality of a dollar bill is that it is a slavery voucher. Mm. Uh, obviously wage slavery, one of many kinds of slavery, but it, it's, it's the, 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 Wage slavery is a mode of slavery that white people are willing to accept mm. unto themselves. And what it functionally is, is, of course, that you perform an amount of labor. This is time and energy from your life. This is taking from the work of your body. That is your labor. And it get, gets converted into these convenient little slips that chop up the value of your life as given 
and turn them into little slavery vouchers. And the beauty of it is you pay the slaves in slavery vouchers, just less than they produce. And so the word money itself is just to hide the fact that what is being exchanged is labor and what labor is, is human lives. So all of these words are to hide the central sin of turning human beings into something you can trade, you can sell, you can own. And if you think of every dollar bill as a slice of someone's soul, the evil of someone like Elon Musk is undeniable. And um, that's why we have so many cute ways of of contextualizing the the exchange of human lives with handy words that keep them as far as possible from the concept even of money. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm going to just be spending like the the rest of the day thinking about other words for money, which is like <laughs> possibly making a physical list. But mostly, I guess like I'm just like, okay, like that's neat. That's how they're taking up a lot of space. Like, I think though, um, I think though I'd, I'd like to start like conceptualizing, uh, you know, um, it's like that thing, uh, that thing where you start a rumor about yourself. Cause these are all things that are like, not, I mean, actually, I think, I think capitalists actually do have over 500 words for money, even though <laughs> the snow thing is, fucking racist uh um i i think that i think that genuine anarchists and revolutionaries as i've previously but i have a whole thing with the word anarchy uh i'm no longer accepting any other definitions like well my definition of anarchy is i'm not doing any of that with people anymore anarchy is to describe where the technologies of government structures have not reached the needs of life, period. I won't fuck around with like, well, during this period in history, this group of people used the name. And in my heart, after I watched SLC Punk and Fight Club, I felt like I wanted to. And then when I put on these clothes with these patches, I feel I can't do it. Everybody can do that with themselves, but for all intents and purposes with me, to ground everybody, because I feel like everybody's different individual things all does that not resonate with it where it's like the technology of government hasn't reached what we need to do whether that's fight or feed or you know right right like this is not meant to erase people's thing it's meant to like everyone just hold your thing and then we're all gonna like stand on this ground together is that a thing like is that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely see the, the, the truth of that definition. I, I feel like, uh, let's see. I think of anarchy as a catch-all term, uh, for countless ways of bettering the world beyond mm. the reaches of government. Yes. And in, in my personal praxis and belief, uh, without the reaches of any government. 
Um, I, because I feel that political answers are not human answers. Uh, I think that mm. simply having a new monetary or lack of monetary system in communism and having the right government running things as an authoritarian communist uh, vanguard concept, uh, both of these simply address matters of logistics. Mm. I feel that the real answer has to reach beyond the political and deeper than the personal. It has to be spiritual. I'm not at this time planning on starting a cult, but the point <laughs> is that the accountability, self-examination, and fundamental compassion for other human beings is the actual uh, answer for shaking off the yokes of capitalism, totalitarianism, colonialism. Uh, I'm not prepared to, to publish on, on how we shake the yoke of white supremacy because that that sucker hangs on, but um, you know what? One little one little icicle at a time, I think, is where <laughs> I'm at. <laughs> one one ice cube icicle is because I'm just using the metaphors of ice because they be freezing and melting and freezing and melting all the fucking time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, so since though, since we are on the same page then about anarchy, it's really for me. It feels more like a negative space, and I'm called to show up and assess what's up is sort of the thing. It really drives me crazy when people are like, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's like the Antifa thing and whatever. Like, it's so bizarre. But anyway, my point is uh, anarchists have over 500 words for love. That's that's what I want to say. That's what's been sitting in my head, <laughs> bubbling, <laughs> bubbling away, wanting to come yeah. out of my mouth. Um, uh, yeah, this is a cool... This is a cool fucking discourse. It's an excellent conversation. Right. Um, and, and as with money, it's a matter of looking at words you didn't realize were connected and actually finding the love in them. Uh, listening. Let's make yes. a, let's do a couple. Let's do a couple. Some examples. Showing up. Being honest. Ooh. Sleeping. Waking up, like literally living life, like literally just like living life, like organically. Right. You know, working or doing work, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Because I, you know, this, this is what I've been saying is that the human concept of label, labor, the concept of labor uh, itself obfuscates that this is a person's life. This is a person's, the actions of their hands, the thoughts of their mind, the longings of their soul. All of these things are what are being taken away for a salary. Mm. Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, so like taking into account that we're like living in the world we're living in, where like capitalism is destroying us all and everything that we're like living through everything we're trying to love is like separated from us by some form of miniature or like massive culture war element. Absolutely. Everything, <sighs> everything that connects us to each other is being co-opted and put behind a paywall. And mm -hmm. 
the, that paywall also has a bouncer who checks your skin tone. Mm. And f- frankly, the price of money is that giving a dollar value deletes the value of everything else in the universe. Mm. Because even the entire planet Earth, converted into a, into a dollar amount, is still only half of what you'd get for two planet Earths. How do we unerase things? I think I was about to not ask that question, and then it occurred to me, I think some things can probably be unerased. Or like not unerased, but like rewritten to the best of our ability to understand what we're doing. And that kind of requires that we don't overreach and like possibly fabricate some gaps a bit. But like mindfully with science, I don't see how that doesn't make sense as long as it's not white people doing it. Like Yeah. White people simmer down. Like give (laughs) give your money to somebody else to do it. That's if you're all excited and you have a bunch of money and you could do it. Uh, hand your pa- hand your power away. Like, I don't know. That's, oh, yeah. I didn't Absolutely. expect to just have a call to action come out of me. I don't even know how that, <laughs> like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and that's, that's what we have to do is act as rebel agents within the machine. Uh, you know, uh, resistance can be as simple as costing a cop a few minutes out of their day as slowing down ice agents you know the i mean we were talking about over 500 words for love and now we're getting into some juicy words for love yes yeah uh sabotage resistance uh, uh, oh gosh how have liberals ruined the word revolution for me Ooh, um, ooh, ooh. but it's it's still a real thing uh no matter how hard it's co-opted uh, but, um, <laughs> my soul god fuck it's there are things you can do in the course of of just your daily life Uh, compassion is the key because money is the numbers that were invented to hide inhumanity to hide abuse to hide hierarchy to hide white supremacy all of these things that don't add up if it's literally just a face to face I do this you do that handshake deal uh, mm. that it has to be abstracted into money, then the truth of that exchange is being hidden in the numbers. To haggle for a better price is to literally haggle against the other person's interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's a zero-sum game. Money makes it a zero-sum game. There are only so many dollars on the planet. And... Uh, Anything you can do to interrupt the system. Those, yeah, those are all words for love right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shit. Cool. Thank you. Oh. I, uh, I, I just love that my life is so full of wonderful conversations these days like this. Thank you so much. That was all beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when I was a child in uh, the, you know, government indoctrination history class of public school, I read about the salons of Paris and how Mm. people who had big ideas would just come and share their big ideas. And I always thought, wow, 
I'd love to live in a time when you could have that. And here we are, welcome mumble years later. Welcome, it's <laughs> and, fabulous uh, in here. It's it's incredible uh, the, the the communities and connections that we're able to form, and mm-hmm. the fact that we can use the mechanisms of this juggernaut that is plowing through history to do our best to throw our clogs into the gear work. It's a beautiful thing. Ah, yes. <sighs> yes. Well, I am uh, I am so glad that we did this. I'm looking forward to having you back. Thank you so much. Yeah, totes. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Be well. We'd like to thank our patrons on Patreon and everyone who's bought our merchandise. Find the links to all that stuff and our social links on goodmorningmayberry.com. We've got closed captioned episodes on YouTube. Some tubes, some tubes. So whiteness and mental health. Um, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like I encounter a lot where I'm dealing with white women particularly, but it does definitely show up with like just white people in general. Like it doesn't really matter. Um, uh, but they, they need to take up all this space with their mental health thing, whatever their mental health thing is. And that like railroads across all other things, including whatever type of like virtues they want to represent having. Like they're ready to trade one for the other all the time. And expect that, expect that other people are to not do that. Yeah, it's, everything is set dressing to whiteness Mm. for whiteness's performance. Whoa. The, uh, the mental health element, uh, for instance, uh, that gets itself split on the gender binary and so men, men's mental health and its function in whiteness is supposed to be that men get to just explode. Whoa. Men get to do absolutely nothing to process or metabolize anything about reality. Men get to just explode over it. And this is something that white men get to do. Uh, whereas white women... Uh, it's all about a social control narrative. It's about playing the victim. You know, it's sort mm. of beauty and the beast. White women get the role of beauty and white men get the role of beast. Mm. And somehow we're supposed to pretend this isn't fucked up. Uh, <laughs> I had the funniest fucking thing. I was doing my dishes, minding my... I was minding my own Mary behind, doing my fucking dishes in my goddamn house. And all of a sudden the greatest intrusive thought fantasy world just like slapped it. Cause it was all from this like stress. It was all from this like bullshit that I'm going through. And yeah. it just like Mac trucked in the back of my head. And, uh, it was like, it was like, I was sitting on a throne. I was the character. I, I don't think it was me. Maybe it was me. It could be me. It doesn't matter. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, the tears of white women are no currency in this court. <laughs> <laughs> Right. You have no power here. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to write a fantasy world around it. Uh, fanfic me. Somebody send me like art <laughs> with that. Just send me a comic of me <laughs> on a throne saying that shit. Uh, shit. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But, but I mean, mm. uh, the tears of a white woman are actually worth a lot. They're like very, they have a ton of fucking, not oh. to me, but like about me. Like it constantly is like, oh no, the white woman, someone's going to come for my head. Oh God. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. They, uh, they, it's weird too. Cause they have no idea how fucking terrifying it is. I've tried to talk to a few of them about it. I really, I really thought they could be reasoned with, um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm fucking precious. Uh, <laughs> So it's a circular relationship between ableism and whiteness. And uh, anytime someone is wielding their disabled status in a manner which benefits them personally, but harms all disabled people, the word that I've come up for that is crutch fuckery. Hmm. For example, when someone is autistic and says, well, I can't help that I say insensitive and racist things because I'm autistic. That's crutch fuckery. That is taking the actual circumstances of living as an autistic person and selling everyone else out, every other autistic person out, so that you can claim that autistic people are just assholes. Hmm. Now, obviously, people are going to have differences in empathy and comprehension of other people's states, but that then it's it's not an excuse. That's that's actually the function of of what they have to deal with. And the thing that keeps it from being an excuse is, are you actually engaging with it, or are you just using it as a get out of responsibility free card? And so I think that white women engage in a lot of crutch fuckery. I think white women are just as crazy as uh, their therapists say, and more so. Hmm. Uh, but they don't want to actually delve into their crazy because I myself am quite mad. Uh, I, I have a strong Same. sense of mad pride. Uh, I am, I am proud for my many neurodivergences and society does not make room for neurodivergences. What it makes room for is privileged people with neurodivergences. Uh, that ain't that a fact, <laughs> ain't that a fact. And, and, and people, people, well, people, I've, uh, people, I just want to point out cause I'm on one about merit marital unions a bit being uh being a way to afford a bit of privilege it, it's a leverage to because coupling is power people in groups are powerful and that's a legal like you know it's like in the institutions of statism i just as a person who is very much not married and probably not ever going to be i notice it a lot and how it like when it's an, when it's an option marital union will echo chamber build a ton of momentum around its narrative and then come for a motherfucker. Yeah. It's what it is, is that of course being disabled is debilitated by society. Uh, accessibility is for everyone. And it is literally what determines whether someone is considered disabled. People who wear eyeglasses aren't considered disabled because eyeglasses are freely available in this culture. Uh, so really disability is simply where society has chosen to stop caring about your being able to participate in society. Ooh, heavens. And if you are say a poor black woman, that's, that is the state of affairs. That, that's what you're up against is just that, you know, you're disabled. You can't do shit. Fuck you. But if you're a rich white woman, 
Mm. When it comes to mental health, white women simply wield the structures of white privilege down to the way conversations are supposed to work in polite society, massive air quotes, and will use whiteness as a trump card in matters of disability and disability as a trump card in, in matters of whiteness. That that was just like that was just like really on the money. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. No. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and and it is such a white mechanism that rewards uh, capability in navigating white mechanisms uh, to such an extent that it is now fashionable if you are a rich white woman to be diagnosed with this one as opposed to that one. Mm-hmm. I recently heard someone say, I'm, I'm not a narcissist. Uh, you know, I, I would never identify as a narcissist. They're terrible. But uh, I do have b- uh, BPD. That's, that's one of the good ones. What? Oh, yeah. White women just shop for these afflictions because Yo. white womanhood is victimhood. Infuriating. Absolutely infuriating um so yes the 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 tears of a white woman are a direct currency they are white woman they culture. are not uh, in this court <laughs> sorry <laughs> right? i'm sorry we don't accept those here I, you'll have to carry that across the street That's go nice. cry into the atm machine that's right. <laughs> you can watch dishes in the back. We do accept barter, but the tears of a white woman are no currency in this court. <laughs> Acts of service. Uh, words for love. Anarchists have lots of words for love. Lots of options. Lots of options. Ignoring ignoring people, silencing people, marginalizing people are not on the list, though. So. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a good place to actually wrap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. We'd like to thank our patrons on Patreon and everyone who's bought our merchandise on TeePublic. Find the links to all that stuff and our social links on goodmorningmayberry.com. We've got closed captioned episodes on YouTube. Subscribe, listen, and rate us on all the podcast spots. If you're wondering who we are, we is me and my demons. And you can join the Legion by following our Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram, jumping on the Patreon, or just buying one of our shirts and wearing that around, drinking the tears of whoever you like the least uh, out of one of our mugs. And uh, coming back and checking out the next episode. I'm Shift. And always remember to never forget. The real answer has to reach beyond the political and deeper than the personal. It has to be spiritual. I'm... Not at this time planning on starting a cult, but the point (laughs) is that the accountability, self-examination, and fundamental compassion for other human beings is the actual uh, answer for shaking off the yokes of capitalism, totalitarianism, colonialism. Uh, I'm not prepared to to publish on, on how we shake the yoke of white supremacy because that that sucker hangs on, but um, you know what? One little icicle at a time. I'm just using the metaphors of ice because they be freezing and melting and freezing and melting all the fucking time. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So since though, since we are on the same page then about anarchy, it's really, for me, it feels more like a negative space and I'm called to show up and assess what's up is sort of the thing. It really drives me crazy when people are like, you know, I don't know. It's it's like the Antifa thing and whatever, like it's so bizarre. But anyway, my point is, uh, anarchists have over 500 words for love. That's, that's what I want to say. That's what's been sitting in my head, <laughs> bubbling, <laughs> bubbling away, wanting to come yeah. out of my mouth. Um, uh, yeah, this is a cool, this is a cool fucking discourse. It's an excellent conversation. Right. And, um, and as with money, it's a matter of looking at words you didn't realize were connected and actually finding the love in them. Uh, listening. Let's make yes. a, let's do a couple. Let's do a couple. Some examples. Showing up. 